This is Dr. Chad Edwards, and you're listening to podcast number 68 of Against the Grain. What guy doesn't want to maximize their testosterone? Through using all natural and organic ingredients, men now have an option for a locally made paraben and sulfate-free shampoo, conditioner, and face wash. Not only does Dude's Manly products smell great, which drives ladies crazy, by the way, in a good way, they put a unique spin on their shampoo with it actually having a dark gray color because of the coconut shell charcoal that is used to remove the toxins. Dude can be purchased at the Tulsa Men's Shop and also online at www.dudemanlystuff.com. That's D-O-O. D manlystuff.com. Welcome to Against the Grain Podcast with Dr. Chad Edwards, where he challenges the status quo when it comes to medicine. We get into hot topics in the medical field with real stories from real patients to help you on your way to a healthy lifestyle. Get ready because we're about to go, go, against the grain. Hello, hello. This is the super tall Marshall Morris joined today with Dr. Chad Edwards, who believes that 80% of medical recommendations are crap. Technically speaking here, he is the author of revolutionize your health with customized supplements. He served in the U S army. He is a board certified family physician, and he's the founder of RevolutionHealth.org. Dr. Edwards. Hey, how you doing today? I, well, I'm doing actually pretty spectacularly. It's, uh, it's, you know, we're starting to get into fall. Yep. And that just has me excited. It is absolutely bar none, without question, my favorite time of the year. And that's exciting. And it's exciting because it kind of, the seasonal change, it brings a, about a lot of different moods from people. Yeah. And so, uh, so, yep. so usually that's a pretty good thing. You know, and then there's pumpkins and you got, I mean, it's just leaves falling. It's, pretty outside it's nice you know and we got the you know in, in Tulsa we have the fair which is I, I grew up right by the fairgrounds yeah. so it was like the fair was like a big deal because it was sure yeah it was just cool so my family and I are going to the fair do you ever do any of the people watching at the fair oh my goodness you know the funny thing is <laughs> this is and I, I may have said this before on the sure. podcast I don't quite remember but you know you walk up and down the midway and you're like my gosh where are these people the rest of the year? Yeah. And then I, you know, I work in the emergency room and sometimes I'll go stand out in the waiting room and I was like, ah, here there they are. are. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> there they, they are. <laughs> so, so it, tell me, you know, I like to eat a lot of, uh, uh, of the kind of the unique fair foods, okay. Right. The fair foods. Um, but I probably don't like to eat it as much as some of the people there do. You know, I try and I try and right. work it off during the week. But. Well, but the other piece is you probably do it as an annual experience. You yeah, know, you're going to do it. You know, you you go to the fair and you like pig out and get food that's really crappy for you. And, yeah, and uh, that's just you know how it is. But the rest of the time you eat, you know, fairly sensible. Sure. I don't know that that's the case for most people. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. So, how would you say this fair food um, diet maybe throughout the year would contribute to overall uh, health? Well, just look at the people at the fair. Oh, okay. That's fair. You know, I mean, that's, I'm going to go to the fair. I don't want to stereotype, it, but it's not just confined to the fair. Let's be honest. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a, uh, you know, I like going to Branson and I love going to Silver Dollar City. And I've, I've walked into Silver Dollar City and I've just looked around and I thought, my gosh, is that a requirement that you're mm. obese mm. in order to get it? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Sure. It's, and I don't mean to fault anyone. I'm, I'm sure that's going to step on toes, but I mean, it's just, there is something about it, you know. My, I've been fortunate enough that I've uh, been able to do some uh, some teaching things in in Europe, and when you walk around, uh, you know, Italy and France and and Belgium, and and you just people watch there, 
you don't see obesity like we see it here. You just don't see it. Why? What in the world is going on? And you know, a lot of people will come in and they'll ask that question, and I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't have a good answer. I think the quality of our food has a lot to do with it. I think our, our lifestyle, our stress, our 24-7, all those things have a lot to do with it. Um, the you know, culture could play a role in it uh, in some ways. Certainly toxins, I think, play a role. And it may be accumulation of all of those things. Um, but, you know, the, the French, if you go to, on Par- you know, in Paris, there's a, a pastry shop on every corner. I mean, they're just all over the place. And we, we, you know, my friends and I joked that if we wanted to look Parisian, all we had to do was walk around with, uh, you know, a, a bouquet of flowers in one arm and uh, some baguettes in the other. Because that's just, that's just, that's what you do. And you, you go pick up your groceries and they're basically fresh right there. And, and uh, you know, they're within a, the store is within a block of where you live. Uh, if it's not at the, you know, the quote, farmer's markets, they don't call yeah. it farmer's market, but it's, uh, if it's not at the market, you know, uh, once a week, you know, they bring in these trucks. It almost looks like Midway at the fair. Uh, they bring in these trucks and they've got, I mean, just the most amazing selection of food across the board. You talk about foodies. Oh my goodness. I remember one, there was a, uh, uh, it was in, uh, it was in Antwerp, Belgium. And I went down and was looking around and of course they had the, the butcher thing, but they had a, like a carcass, you know, the, the animal carcass hanging there. And when you got your steak, he just cut it off of the thing and then, you know, cut it and there you go. I mean, it was like fresh from the farm. There was no processing and sitting and, and coloration or I mean, there was none of that. You got it right there. Seafood was the same way. But they had this one that was a Mediterranean truck and they had more olives than I have ever seen. <laughs> I, I, there was probably 20 different kinds of olives and it just looked beautiful. You look at this and the colors and the flavors and Man, I mean, the quality of the food so much different. Nothing, nothing that, that you buy, you know, in that farmer's market. It's in a box. None of mm-hmm. it has preservatives. None of it has any of that crap that, that we get routinely. I mean, all of it is just, it, it, the quality of that stuff is just different. On a different level. Way, but it really is. And I really have to think that that plays a big role in, uh, in, in our obesity across the board, you know, across the country. I think the food we eat is just pure crap. And so uh, let me ask you this. Um, we're getting into our topic for today, for today's uh, episode. How does the obesity and the diet and the nutrition of our food um, contribute to today's topic? Well, it, it basically is the foundation of this because we're going to be talking about, you know, how to lose weight or one way to lose weight. So I had a patient that came to me. In fact, I, I mean, I get it all the time. The patients will come in and they're obese, uh, even sometimes o- just overweight. And it's a scale of the body mass index, which I'm not a huge fan of, although it's a, it's a tool that can be helpful, can be, uh, is, the, is the key word there. But a uh, little side note on the body mass index. Dr. Robert Heisinga, is, uh, I've worked, had the opportunity to work with him. He's the medical director on the TV show, The Biggest Loser. Um, and he... And basically how The Biggest Loser got its start, uh, it's one of two TV shows that I wanted to talk about to kind of lay the groundwork. Um, but the way The Biggest Loser got its start was he was the uh, team physician for the LA Raiders back in the 80s. And his coaches came in and they his, his linemen, of course, they're, they're working out. They're you know doing two-a-days and just working out all the time. And they weren't gaining weight like the coaches wanted. And he wanted they wanted the line to be much heavier than they were. So they were like, Doc, make it happen. They literally just brought in buffets and were like, you know, breeding, bringing pigs to the trough and were like, eat up. 
So they had to engorge them basically with food in order to maintain their weights so that they weren't burning it all off by the amount of exercise that they did. So when NBC came to Dr. Heisinga and said, we want to do this show based on that, basically that's where he got the foundation for the show. Uh, so on the show, of course, they've got a great track record. He's published over 18 studies from, from you know, all the data that he's accumulated from uh, the contestants on the show. And it's, a, it's a, like everything you see on there is legit, it's real. It's, a, it's almost like a televised study exactly. you know, in a way. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. And um, you know, we've talked about some of that on, on the podcast as we've gone through. I know we have, but um, there's, there's just a, a lot of data that's come out of there, and they are successful. They, I mean, all of those contestants lose weight. Now, what most people don't see is that they're getting up first thing in the morning, and they might be on the treadmill for an hour or two before they even start their day. They're going to work out for hours during the day. The amount of exercise that they are doing is so much more than people often know or expect they think they had the last chance workout and that's it they are literally working their butts off i mean they are burning it and so that is without question a and of course they balance it with with uh with optimal nutrition and or i should say with with good nutrition i don't agree with everything that they do but uh, they clearly get results and they get success but they're uh, they've got uh, nutritionists and they help them with with their meal selections and things like that but part of part of the show is they've got to learn how to cook. They got to learn how to eat. They got to learn how to prepare food, all of those kinds of things. And it's just part of it. Um, but it's, it's their job to, to be there and work out and eat right and lose weight. That is their job. That's their existence. It's what they do. And certainly they get a little bit of downtime, but, uh, and they get some cool things cause they're on the show and every now and then they'll go to Vegas or they'll go to Napa or they'll just do different things, uh, you know, on, on each season. But that is their job. It's not reality for, for most people. You can't, you can't spend four or five, six hours a day working out, uh, walking, you know, just doing different things. So I, I think some people see that and they think that, well, I can just do that and, you know, I, I'll just walk two miles a day and that'll be sufficient. And it's just not for most people. Uh, when you consider how many calories you walk per mile, uh, or I mean, you, that you burn per mile, you know, you're looking at, you know, 100 to 150 based on the size of the person, uh, calories per mile. Well, that's a can of Coke. So if you were to cut out one can of Coke, that would be equivalent to walking a mile, more or less. So a lot of people think that you know they'll they'll make some changes and they'll say I quit drinking Cokes. Well, if they were, you might might have been drinking three or four of those a day, and that's going to take you know 500 calories right there. But you can dunk 500 calories pretty darn quick uh, at dinner time, and you you really have to tweak it in multiple ways. And then when you consider how much you have to exercise. In order to like calorie expenditure, I mean it's it's more work than I think most people recognize or realize. Now there's certainly other things that you can do. You know the there's a, a post exercise post workout thermogenic effect where your metabolism is higher. Uh, of course, your the amount you burn is dependent on how much muscle you have. So increasing lean muscle mass is very important. It's one of the topics or one of the key components to what we're going to be talking about. Uh, but there's just a lot to it and some people get very frustrated and they'll try really hard and they don't get good success right up front and you know if you're not eating cake you quit out you know you cut out all the the junk and you're seeing friends and uh, they're eating a bunch of junk and you've been doing this for two weeks and you're not really making any difference and then you see the cake go by and you're like well crap i'm i'm doing all this stuff and i'm not getting anywhere i'm gonna eat cake too so it can be really frustrating for patients but 
So the Biggest Loser is is definitely one, um, you know, one way that their concept: eat sensibly and work your butt off. That's definitely a way that you can lose weight. Um, I mean, it works, but it takes more work than most people realize. Another way that you can do it is I, I like to draw these parallels with a lot of the patients that come in the clinic. And another way that you can do this is with, um, you know, just massive starvation. And the other TV show I like to compare to is Survivor. At the end of the show on Survivor, none of those people have gained weight. None of them. They, in fact, they all lose weight. They don't lose as much as on The Biggest Loser, but that's they don't get contestants generally that are as big. But, I mean, they, many of them lose a tremendous amount of weight. But they are an, on an extreme calorie restriction. Their energy is low. They can't, you know, many of them in different circumstances, some of the competitions, they just can't move. They, don't, they can't perform. They're really sluggish and tired and all of those kinds of things. So you can, you can dramatically cut calories, go on a starvation diet, you know, and I would argue that like concentration camp uh, survivors, I mean, you've seen pictures. They're emaciated. They are bony structures. And they just didn't get to eat anything. Completely not healthy, but none of them were obese. So for the patients that come in and they say, it doesn't matter what I do, I can't lose weight. I have to say, bullcrap. It's not true. It, and I don't mean to frustrate anyone because I understand their frustration. I understand that you know it's much more difficult or they've tried all kinds of things. But if you get really extreme, you can lose weight. Again, I don't think that's the healthiest way. So, you know, one came in the other day, a patient came in the other day and they said, uh, hey, I really, I really need help losing weight. I've tried all kinds of things. And of course, one of the things that we do in the clinic is we're looking at their underlying physiology. We want to check the thyroid and we check hormones and, you know, because testosterone can help increase in insulin sensitivity. Uh, thyroid is a big driver of uh, your baseline metabolism. So there's a lot of things that we will look at at their physiology and try to identify why can't they lose weight? So we focus a lot on that. Now, when you've gone through everything in this particular patient, her labs look pretty darn good. Hormones seem to be optimized. Thyroid function looked really good. Sleeping okay. Blah, 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 blah. What in the world's going on? And I get patients like that from time to time. A lot of times we'll find something and, and it makes a big difference. But I'll tell you that my experience is that some things are so nuanced. There's just these little bitty things that might make all the difference in the world. And, you know, it's difficult to find all of those things. And, of course, we don't have an unlimited time with every patient that comes in. So I've, I've readdressed. I used to do this. I used to provide a service for this diet. And, I, and I've recently thought, you know, I'm going to dig a little bit more into it. I'm going to look at this. And I'm going to see, is there any utility for this in my practice? And at the end of the day, I think, yes, there is. I think there are many patients that would benefit from it. I don't. I'm not going to tell you that, that this approach is the absolute best. I highly recommend it for every single patient that walks in the door. But when you get a patient, in fact, this particular patient that came in, she said, what do you think about uh, weight loss surgery? And my thought is heavens no. I mean, absolutely not. You know, you've got a couple of options and some of them are, are less of a no than others. And the one that I'm speaking about the most uh, is a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. That's what it's called. You, and basically, they cut off part of the stomach and they reattach the esophagus in this small 15 or uh, 20 to 30 cc pouch uh, of, of stomach and they attach it 
down the small intestine. And they the reason they do that is because it bypasses a lot of your absorptive ability. And they'll re-anastomose or attach uh, those two structures. So you've bypassed the stomach and a lot of the small intestine, a good chunk of it. And, but the problem is, is that you induce a malabsorptive syndrome. You cannot absorb food. <clears throat> you cannot absorb, absorb nutrients in the same way as before. So these patients have to be on a, you know, a very modified diet. They can't ever eat a Thanksgiving dinner again. You know, they're caught, they, they have to eat a certain way all the time. My issue with it is that it doesn't under address the underlying problems to be that, you know, to begin with. Secondly, I've seen people die from it. Um, clearly the mortality rates fairly low, but I have seen it. I have seen patients die from bariatric surgery. Of course, I've seen patients die from obesity too. So, you know, you can make that argument, but at the end of the day, we want patients to lose weight. We want them to be optimally healthy. And we want to do it in the least lowest risk mode. And so when I consider all of those options, I think this dietary approach makes a lot of sense. So we've talked about a couple different uh, approaches that are most, um, I, don't, I don't want to say most understood or widely, maybe widely understood by most of society. Uh, you have the, the, the biggest loser approach. Uh, a lot of calories going in and an extreme amount of energy being expended, uh, right. calories burned. That's okay. Right. Um, then you have more of a starvation type approach where I'm just not going to eat a lot and I'm not going to do a lot. Okay. I'm just not going to exercise very much. But with that being said, I'm going to eat even less. Right. Okay. And then you even have people that have gone to uh, the approach where, hey, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get surgery. So that my body, my body physiologically cannot uh, cannot process all of these nutrients and calories. Just physically can't process it. Right. Okay. And you're saying that there is a even uh, maybe more appropriate approach for uh, patients where maybe none of these really kind of you fit into one of these categories. There's a more appropriate, better approach. Yeah, and I mean, there. This is not to say this is the only one. There may be sure. others. But when I look at what can I do in my practice to help my patients, um, and this again is not for every one of them, but what I'm incorporating again is the HCG diet. Okay. And HCG stands for the human chorionic gonadotropin diet. It's been around since the 1950s. Uh, and this physician, Simeons, I think was his name, um, he uh, is a British born physician and, and he started doing this HCG diet, basically the concept is it's a very low calorie diet, like 500 calories a day, low calorie diet. That's really low. Uh, there's, I mean, you're talking, you know, a couple of breasts of chicken, uh, you know, an apple or two and some greens or something. It's just, there's not a lot there. And uh, so really low calorie diet. Now the problem is, is that, you know, if you go on a really low calorie diet, then you start burning everything you can. Uh, and you're going to burn fat, but you're also going to burn muscle. Now we have a real problem because muscle is part of your basal metabolic rate. And we mentioned that, you know, earlier, the basal metabolic rates determined by a number of things, but your lean muscle mass is definitely part of that. If you have 10 pounds of lean muscle mass versus 50 pounds of lean muscle mass, you can burn a whole lot more energy when you run, when you sleep, when you do everything. So you want more lean muscle mass, at least to a point. So I think that's very important. Get, keep, keep or increase or at least maintain 
or lose the least amount of lean muscle mass that you possibly can. You go on one of these severe calorie restriction diets, like on Survivor, that Survivor-esque, uh, you know, uh, concentration camp type, uh, you know, approach, the ultra low calorie uh, starvation type deal. You are going to burn muscle, and it's it's almost inevitable. The you know the sur- the concentration camp survivors they were they were emaciated. They didn't have any body fat. But they didn't have any muscle either. They were completely wasting away. So that is obviously and clearly not healthy. So when you go on these low calorie, ultra low calorie diets, you are burning fat. I mean, you're but you're also burning muscle, and that is where there's a real problem. So you get on these yo-yo diets where you'll you'll diet, you'll lose a lot of weight. You know, a lot of that's uh, fat. Maybe a lot of it's muscle too. So then you go back to the way you were and you gain more fat. Now you still have the same amount of lean muscle mass that you had at the end of that diet where you don't have as much. Then you know you gain more fat. So your your body, the proportion is just is off and you don't have the same uh, the same capacity to, to burn calories. And so that's where you get this obesity and some, you can have a creasing, creeping obesity where you just gain weight over years. And you can have from yo-yo dieting where you lose muscle mass in the process, regardless you need to make, keep and maintain your muscle mass, period. So the concept with the HCG diet is you go on this ultra low calorie diet, 500 calorie diet, and um, or some other kind of uh, ultra restrictive diet, but the HC, HCG, which is a hormone, helps prevent hunger. And this is, it, it's not proven to do that, but it's re- reported by patients on the HCG diet that they just don't get hungry. And I would argue that the, I wouldn't just argue, it's what I've seen, that the vast majority of patients on the HCG diet just don't have the same level of hunger that they would have had had they just severely restricted their calories. So the hunger piece is a big part. The second part of that is when it's done correctly, you preserve your lean muscle mass and you basically burn bad fat. The unhealthy excess body fat, you utilize that and burn it for energy. So you're almost getting this starvation kind of thing, but we're tricking the body by giving it this hormone that you are preserving lean muscle mass. So I would argue it's a much better way to go, much safer than just severe calorie restriction. And it's definitely safer than uh, bariatric surgery. And we get good results. And I've I've seen uh, good results in a number of patients. You know, it's not... Uh, no one's obese because they have an HCG deficiency. So, you know, in my in my clinic, I'm always looking for what's the underlying cause. And while we're trying to figure out that underlying cause, many patients may need to be on an HCG diet to help them lose weight. And sometimes they just need a jump start where they can lose 20, 30, 40 pounds, get them started. And then we're still working on the lifestyle stuff that I think is the ultimate solution. And, but maybe that gets them enough. Everybody starts looking at them and saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're looking great. You, what are you doing? Just giving them some motivation to, to do those other things while we're working on their sleep, while we're working on their exercise, all of those other things. And then we pull them off the HCG diet. And now they've got a plan that they can, they can work with. They've already had some success. So what I want to do is I want to take a quick break here. Yep. Okay. And when we come back, I want to see uh, how we actually administer this hormone and uh, the the different application of this uh, diet in action. Okay. Sounds great. Are you tired and fatigued? Are you frustrated with doctors because they just don't seem to listen? 
Do you want to fix your pain without surgery? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then we are the clinic for you. We offer prolotherapy, PRP or platelet-rich plasma therapy, and stem cell injections, IV nutritional therapies, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, and functional medicine to get you back on track to optimal health. Call our clinic at 918-935-3636 or visit our website at www.revolutionhealth.org to schedule your appointment today. Okay, we are back with Dr. Chad Edwards and we are talking about uh, the HCG diet. Dr. Edwards, again, for all of, uh, all of the physicians out there listening, what is HCG again? Human chorionic gonadotropin. It's actually the hormone of pregnancy. It comes oh. from the placenta, all those kinds of things. It's what we measure to determine... You know, are you pregnant or not? Okay. But I also use it for men in trying to stimulate the testicles to produce testosterone. Um, if they have testicular shrink, uh, shrinkage or atrophy, we can use it to help increase the volume of the testicles. So there's some there's some other benefits to HCG. Boom. And we are using this uh, specifically in this episode is uh, the HCG diet as a, uh, a way for some patients to lose weight. Correct. Um, but it has to be done correctly. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah. And so why don't you walk us through the, the application? Um, how do uh, patients uh, get started on this and what does that really even entail? Yeah, there's actually a whole protocol that was actually written by Dr. Uh, Simeons. Uh, again, it published this paper in 1954. He was very strict, had to be done a you know, certain way, 500 calories. Uh, so, for example, you it got so nuanced that you could eat white meat chicken, you can't eat dark meat chicken. Um, the skin has to be removed. Can't cook it in oils. It's you know it's got to be cooked a certain way. Uh, you can only eat certain vegetables. And so there's a lot of nuances to it, and probably beyond the scope of this podcast. But uh, there's a very specific diet that goes along with that. Now there's a physician whom I respect, Dr. Emma. Uh, she's been on the Dr. Oz show. Uh, she has done a lot of studies about the HCG diet, and she has found that it is very effective. Uh, it does work. And uh, she's had a lot of great success with it. So uh, she, she, I don't know the difference between her protocol and Dr. Simeon's, but uh, you know, there, she does use some differences. It doesn't have to be the 500 calorie diet with her. Um, so th there can be some difference with the differences with that. Again, we're trying to mobilize fat. And I would argue that when I was an exercise phys major and I look at the exercise physiology and the underlying physiology and you know, you look at insulin and, and things. So you can't be on, you can't have sugars and things. You know, there's a lot of calories in sugar. So there's more in fat, but that we can get into the nuances of that some other time. But uh, you got to avoid all of those things. Eat very clean. There can't be uh, uh, cream in your coffee. And I mean, it needs to be black coffee. You only get a small amount of certain things. So the diet's uh, fairly strict and you take daily injections of HCG. Now, when you start the protocol, you basically pig out for a couple of days and you're doing that there, there's a physiological reason for that but you uh, you increase your intake for a couple of days make sure those abnormal fatty deposits are are filled with this fat so you're trying to cram it in as much as you can for two days sounds like a great diet so far yeah exactly <laughs> uh, but I mean, you, start, you start the injections on on day one sure and then you pig out for a couple of days on day three you begin this ultra strict diet and you, you do that for, depending on how much weight you're wanting to lose, 21 days, 23 days, somewhere in there. And then, uh, you know, if you need to prolong it, you can, but you do it in phases. If you needed to lose 100 pounds, you don't lose all 100 pounds and you just maintain on the same course. You, you do one round and then you'll stop, take a break, 
and there's a prescribed way that you take that break and then you go back on to round two. Um, there are some patients that will get, uh, they call it immune to the HCG. And I think we probably just flood the receptors and, you know, too high level for too long and you know, the body quits responding. So you need a break or a, we often call them holidays from the therapy and then you go back on the therapy as needed until you get to your goal. And again, I've seen many, many people have profound benefit from that. Now, the, there's been a lot of controversy about the HCG diet and it works, it doesn't work, you know, those kinds of things. And I'll tell you when, you, when you can get HCG in multiple forms, you're going to get multiple results. The, what has been studied and what I recommend are the HCG injections. Uh, you want to make sure that you get a high quality HCG injection. You, you inject every day. This can be done at home. Um, you inject them every day and you maintain that as prescribed and you, you don't cheat. Uh, this may be a, this may be a, a dumb third grader question from, from Marshall Morris over here. But, <laughs> um, but where are these injections going? Uh, in the subcutaneous tissues, in the in the fatty tissues, uh, now Dr. Simeon said they needed to be intramuscular. Okay. Uh, so I, I typically give them uh, subcutaneously. Okay. Some some others out there maybe disagree with me, but uh, yeah, just under the skin, fatty tissue or intramuscular tissue. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Uh, so you get these injections every day. That's what's preserving the muscle. Uh, the HCG is not how you lose weight. The diet is how you lose weight. The HCG is how you protect your lean muscle mass uh, and also lower the hunger. So that's the benefit and the effect. And again, Dr. Emma has, has shown that to be true in her studies. Um, so I, I think this diet is a, is a great adjunct and can provide a great resource for many patients. It, it's not a panacea. It's not for everyone. I think it's a, I think it's a really good solution for a lot of people and I'm recommending it for that patient that asked me about bariatric surgery because I can stop this at any point. I can adjust this at any point. Uh, you know, if she can lose. And, and going through back to 1954, the data is fairly consistent on you lose just under a pound to a pound a day fairly consistently. So pretty interesting. You know, so if you needed to lose 40 pounds, you're talking about, you know, 40, 50, 60 days, somewhere in there. So if you started this now or at the first part of October, the end of September, first of October, and you started it now, you could be done and at goal by Thanksgiving. That means you could have a Thanksgiving meal and eat what you wanted. If you had bariatric surgery today, you could not have a Thanksgiving meal. Now, on the with the HCG diet, you can't have a Thanksgiving meal every day. Otherwise, you're right back where you started. You know, we've got to make changes and that's why I, that's why we have to look at those underlying issues as well. Look at the physiology, look at inflammation, look at leptin levels, look at thyroid, look at hormones, all of those things. Optimize the health of that patient as much as possible while we're doing this at the same time. So that when they come off of this, and there's a way to come off of it, when they come off of this, they are set up for a new lifestyle that can, they can maintain their optimal health, which means an appropriate body weight over time. So we're building a sustainable lifestyle and an optimal lifestyle rather than making a huge change that may not stick. And, exactly. Okay. And I can tell you that my, what I've seen for patients with bariatric surgery, and it, it works, patients lose weight. Uh, I would argue that it's almost more like the, you know, the concentration camp survivors, not, not quite, but 
it's more that starvation thing because you're, you're not absorbing your foods. You have nutrient deficiencies. There's all kinds of things. And once you make that, uh, once you make that leap, you can't go back. There's, there are certain things that patients, when they have had gastric bypass, um, and that ruin why gastric bypass, and they come in and they have problems. There are certain things that are off the table. I like having options. There are other ways, in my opinion, to do this without doing that, without altering the physiology, and without inducing those uh, starvation or the malabsorptive syndromes. And, and so would you say that um, while it might not be for every patient, the HCG diet, um, it might be worth at least looking into for anybody that's considered that type of uh, gastric bypass surgery? Oh, absolutely. When done correctly, it, it can be done very safe, have good results. And again, as long as you are addressing the underlying issues, which we do in our clinic, um, as long as you are addressing those underlying issues, we can have long-term success. And what I neglected to say in, that last, in my last comment was what I have seen is 10-year success rate for gastric bypass is deplorable. I, I've seen it multiple, multiple times. I've had family members that have had gastric bypass and they gained much of their weight back over years because they still continue to eat the way they did before. They still have those underlying problems and they haven't been addressed. And so this comes back to the functional medicine uh, mantra, if you will, is address the underlying causes of the weight gain, okay? Correct the, the lifestyle um, that's causing this. Uh, but the HCG is a way to lose the weight and build a sustainable lifestyle and uh, do it in a very uh, constructive way um, where it's not an extreme and uh, non-habit forming diet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, Dr. Edwards, this is kind of like opened my eyes into like the different ways of weight weight loss. I know that there's a lot of things that maybe go into it uh, that being as a as a guy that's pretty in shape, I don't have to deal with those types of um, maybe decisions on a daily basis. Right. Okay. But for a lot of people, they do. Do Absolutely. I eat this? Do I not eat that? Yeah. And while my own personal nutrition can improve, um, I know that that's uh, something where if we are all focused on optimal health and not just oh, I'm good enough, I think I think that's an area where we can all improve. Absolutely, no question. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, talking about how to lose weight in a sustainable way. In a right. sustainable way, right, Doctor Edwards? Until next time. Thanks, man. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast with Doctor Chad Edwards. Tune in next week where we'll be going against the grain.